Attention all Dungeons & Dragons fans. KOSU has the podcast for you. Red Dirt D&D brings you the world's greatest role-playing game, along with music and sound effects like a classic radio. Attention all Dungeons & Dragons fans. KOSU has the podcast for you. Red Dirt D&D brings you the world's greatest role-playing game, along with music and sound effects like a classic radio show. New shows drop every Wednesday, are totally free, and short enough to fit into your daily commute or working out at the gym. Red Dirt D&D can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Radio show. New shows drop every Wednesday, are totally free, and short enough to fit into your daily commute or working out at the gym. Red Dirt D&D can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. All of that was muted. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, this is a good start to a panel. Yes, absolutely. It's never happened to be before. That's, That's the kind right. of panel yeah. everyone likes, the one that they don't have to listen to. That's right. No. Yeah. Uh, and you know, my co-host, uh, the Dwarven DM, John Christian, is not here for me to blame because this is typically his job. And um, um, John, this is your opportunity to ridicule um, all that you want. Uh, anyhow, welcome to Midwest Game Fest Online, everybody. I'm Zach Goins. I'll be the host uh, for this panel today. Midwest Game Fest Online is a uh, convention that is at home here in Kansas City. And um, the online con is going on this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday of uh, no, uh, December 7th through 10th. Um, and then there's also an in-person con uh, in April of 2024. It's a lot of fun. You should check it out. There's a lot of good content that was streamed here on Twitch um, on Thursday, yesterday, some good interviews, some good live plays, things like that. And there's going to continue to be great content on these channels throughout the rest of the week. If you want to get involved, if you want to play in a game, uh, you can do that by heading over to MidwestGameFest.com. You can pick up a ticket. You can go play games in the Discord. You should join the Discord anyways. Um, it seems like there's um, some cool stuff happening over there. And the Midwest Game Fest folks are just a delight in general. Anyhow, today we're going to be doing a panel um, for the next hour called The Evolution of 5E. Um, everybody that you see on this panel, I'm going to introduce, or they're going to introduce themselves here in a moment. Um, but you should listen to them. Um, and not that we're talking about a heavy subject or a, you know, a very like in the weed subject. But um, I will say I am really excited. Like, like, like not just excited, but also uh, there's something meaningful about the folks on this panel. When I did the call out and I said, hey, who wants to, you know, hop in and do a seminar? And I saw each one of these folks. Um, and then I went and grabbed Rich uh, 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 on his, on, on, in an isolated chat. But when I saw these folks said, each one of these people has a meaningful mark in my 5e journey and experience and i thought you know what a cool group to get together with a wide variety alan i'll let you introduce yourself here in a moment but alan is a uh, heavy on the dms guild and um was one of the people that when i started the journey of uh, being a writer and being involved in the 5e community alan was one of the uh the gods of the dms guild that i looked up to as i was writing my content like oh if i could you know put out stuff like alan it'd be super cool so Alan, uh, I was super excited. <laughs> no, it's true though. Pressure. Like Alan seemed to have his hands in all these different pies and just making really cool stuff with a bunch of cool people. I'm like, that's exactly what I want. Um, so I was super excited. I am super excited to have Alan here. Dave uh, from Nerdarchy, some of the early videos when I was learning to be a game master and kind of sorting, like stumbling my way through. Um, Nerdarchy was one of the, if not the go-to uh, channel for me uh, as I figured out how all this was supposed to work. Uh, so I'm excited for Dave to be here. Uh, Rich, um, I met you at a Winter Fantasy. Um, I think year one of, of me getting into writing and you had your whole Esper Genesis line. And one of the things that I loved about that was it kind of, as a, as a noob, as a ignorant buffoon, like it opened up my um, my blinders just a little bit more as to what 
you could do with 5e in general and what what could be what could be successful and what could be popular and 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 how you could leave your mark and so aspergenesis was like a keystone in that transition forward um and then Alphinius gave me uh, some of my first contract work. Uh, I was doing some other stuff at that time, but I got to write a, a, a nice chunk for Mr. Al um, with Gooey Cube, and that was a delight. Um, really, really fun. Um, I, had to, I had to pay him in scotch. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I have my I have my reasons and I have my expectations. Yeah. Um, and then fine currency. Yeah. How much scotch the word is that? Exactly. And then uh, Sean, I'll say you kind of had a touchstone for me in a couple areas. Um, Mastering Dungeons. When I started doing podcasts, um, Mastering Dungeons was the one that I'm like, I want that. I want to just take that cool thing and I want to be a part of something like that. So Sean um, and 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 uh, Mastering Dungeons and um, the show that came uh, kind of the, or all the shows that kind of swirled around that one, I'll say. Um, we're really, we're really cool. And also, um, gosh dang it, if you didn't leave, like the lasting mark of that, of your participation in Adventures League was, was super big. Um, and I appreciated all the little adventures that you wrote and the intro modules that I ran a thousand times with your name on them, um, made me fall in love with Adventures League, your writing. And so anyhow, I just feel like this panel is like the, 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 um, uh, the the statues lining the um the throne room right of really great 5e creators who have who have really made lasting impact so anyhow i've spoken now for five minutes i thought you were more like the expendables uh, well that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what i thought <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough no it, i thought you're just going for the motif of old <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh anyhow no I, I i've taken up too much of our time but i had i'm like i gotta i gotta give props and and give a reason for why this is this is a cool panel for me um but before we get into the topic, I want to give all of you a better intro, and I'm going to let you do that yourself. So, Alan, why don't you start and introduce yourself for us? All right. Uh, I'm Alan Tucker, and as Zach said, I produced uh, content on the DMs Guild primarily to start with for since about 2017, um, when I got back into the game after a long hiatus because of life and stuff like that. But... Um, and since then, I've kind of branched out into some uh, 5e adjacent things and also doing Pathfinder and other stuff like that, uh, various Kickstarters uh, that we've done through by myself and also through the Indie Games Co-op, um, which is a Discord that I run to try to help people um, who are starting getting, getting their start into the industry and primarily... Uh, marginalized group folks and uh that's that's been a lot of fun and rewarding as well so happy to be here fantastic is that that's called the indie co-op discord the uh indie games cooperative perfect perfect that's that's super useful and i didn't know that about so that's very cool <laughs> uh sweet dave what you got for us all right, Nerdarchist Dave here from Nerdarchy for Nerds by Nerds. And, you know, uh, we create content across multiple platforms, uh, articles on our website, uh, thousands of videos over on the YouTube. We also create some physical products and digital products. We currently are uh, expanding into our own gaming system with Zoo Mafia RPG on Kickstarter now. I want to keep this short and sweet because there's plenty of us here, and you guys came to hear about the evolution of 5e. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Uh, perfect. Rich, what you got? Uh, I am uh, co-owner of Alligator Alley Entertainment. Uh, we produce a number of 5e products, including Espergenesis, which is uh, sci-fi for 5th edition. Uh, as a freelancer, I, I kind of, I think somebody called me the, the, the industry bard. I do like writing, editing, and publishing, and VTT, and graphic design, and, and all of the things uh, for, for multiple uh, publishers. Uh, and I've written a whole bunch of adventures, uh, including some for Adventures League. Probably the probably the coolest compliment I got is the intro adventures I wrote for Adventures League. They thought Sean wrote them. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and I'll say not only does Rich do all of those things, he does them well, which is why which is why we love him. Uh, sweet. Alphineas, what you got? 
Well, hello, my friends. I am Alphineas Goo of uh, Gooey Cube. My real name's Kim. I don't have a British accent, but we can forget about that because we're going to be Alphineas today. Yes. So we uh, we are a little small publisher out of Colorado uh, called Gooey Cube, and uh, we make a lot of, I think, interesting and fun things that are a little different than a lot of things that are out there. And if you haven't ever checked us out, check us out at gooeycube.com. But otherwise, let's talk about 5e. Oh, wait. We've got to give Sean his chance. <laughs> Sean's got to get, get Sean's got to get an opportunity here. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, what you got? I will make the best use of my time. Uh, I have been freelancing in the RPG industry since the aughts. So I have freelanced for a lot of companies, including Wizards, in third edition, fourth edition, and fifth edition. So I have seen the evolution, not just of 5e, but of 3e and 4e and everything that went on in between. Uh, currently, I am a lead designer for Ghostfire Gaming, which makes uh, all sorts of games, including fifth edition D&D content. We just got our first uh, stuff up on D&D Beyond. We are one of the first companies to be able to do that. So we, uh, we are very happy, and you can go check out Layers of Ethrus on D&D Beyond right now. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So let's just dive right in. This is the Evolution of 5e panel. The goal of this panel, right, is, uh, as I mentioned to these these fine gentlemen before the show, we throughout 2023, a lot of our panels that I did at various conventions talked about the future of 5e and what, is, what does D&D look like in 2024 and with the OGL nonsense and all sorts of things, right? Um, and those panels were fun, and we had I had several of these guys here on those panels as well. Um, you can go back and listen to them in our in our previous podcast. However, um, moving forward, uh, one of the ideas that we had for a panel for 2024 is the evolution of 5e, and this is kind of a look backwards. It's starting in 12, 2014 when the original player's handbook for fifth edition came out, and looking at these last ten years of what the game looked like then and what it looks like now and what are the steps that it took along the way and who took those steps, who pioneered it. And I think the objective here is kind of twofold. One, because I think it's interesting to look at how a game evolves. And two, because I think there's a lot of concern or apprehension, especially in the uh, younger gaming crowd or the newer gaming crowd right now about your edition is changing, your D&D is changing, there's new revisions coming. What is that going to feel like? And I think the, the fast answer, the TLDR is, it's been changing all this last 10 years. It's going to continue to change. And what you've been doing for the last 10 years is what you're going to continue to do going forward. But um, I've spoken a lot. So I think, Sean, you kind of you kind of gave me the, um, the uh, indicator, I think. You've been at this through the early aughts. You've seen third, you've seen fourth. Let's start with you. Talk about where we where this all began what what were we looking at when fifth edition kind of was handed to us in 2014 what sort of game were we handed you know, we were handed a game that tried to take the best of everything of D&D since it started and role playing games are things they're they're tools and people want to use them in different ways and people find a way to use them in different ways so at the end of fourth edition, uh, a book that I wrote uh, called Halls of Undermountain, I was given the instructions from Wizards to, it's fourth edition, but remember all the cool adventures that we wrote for third, first and second, and even third? Write it like that. So even at the end of fourth edition, they were thinking of, uh, you know, fourth edition was a strong game, but it had its, I don't want to say flaws, but it had its problems with the audience. So there was already a thought back then of how do we make it more attractive to the people that remember first and second and third edition and how they had fun that way. And so right away, it was clear that they were going to use this play test that they were doing to figure out what their current audience, ranging from people who just started with fourth edition going all the way back, loved in role-playing games and wanted to get that into this game. What are like the cap, uh, and, and I'll turn this to somebody else here. I'm going to go to Rich here. What are some of the capstones of that initial 5e presentation? What are some of the hallmarks of design that you, you, you sense? Uh, I think they were going for, they were going for a, a or at least the people that I spoke to, uh, like Sean said, they were trying to create like a greatest hits and trying to find a balance between functionality and familiarity. 
Like, you know, a lot of people that 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 were into D&D and played D&D and talked about D&D and can get people into D&D, remember the old editions, remember the feel of playing the game. And a lot of the staff that was on there also had that and wanted to deliver that to uh, two players while still taking all of the strong points that 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 came out of 4e a lot of people will say that 4e had 4e had you know flaws problems you know what have you but a lot of a lot of the design that went into that actually improved the game mechanically overall so they wanted to take that and and weave that in to that old world rpg feel and i, I think they did a great job doing Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, Dave, you got your hand up here. Sure. So I want to say like one of the one of the things that I noticed right away going into 5e was how modular everything was. I mean, they never really did anything with it. Um, but I was excited at that at the very beginning because I saw all the potential and possibilities. And I think we're going to see more of that going into the future. And we've even done a little bit with it in our own products. Um, it just really get tapped. And I want to say one of my favorite things about the crossover from 4E to 5E was pointing out all the 4E-isms that they just decodified and stripped the language from to try and trick people because as a game designer and game good game design, they just made sense. Yeah. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of undercurrent 4E sensibility. Right. And that probably is going to come. I'll, I'll see if uh, Al or, or, or Alan have any notes on this, but it probably has to do with really a learning from what they what we wanted to avoid from the the tangled web of third edition. Right. Um, yeah. Alan, is there something that you you see anything else on from 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 the basis of fifth edition starting point? Well, um, I kind of I'm a little unique in that I I kind of stopped playing. I I played back when dinosaurs walked the earth in the in the early 80s and um, and so we were doing AD and D and then second edition <laughs> and uh, and then uh, by the time third dropped is when I kind of lost my playing group and and didn't have time anymore etc. And then I didn't get back into it until the just after for fifth edition yeah. and fifth edition actually seemed very familiar um to uh ad and d and second um with some obviously some notable exceptions um thank goodness they didn't bring thacko back but at any rate the uh <laughs> you kids can look that up on the internet so i'm sure it's <laughs> somewhere but um to me advantage disadvantage um was a a very you know that was that was a big deal um in reading through the the new player's handbook um but it was it was just kind of sort of sprinkled in i i don't think they they understood you know how impactful that was going to be and now it seems like playing you if you don't have advantage on on a roll during your turn you're doing it wrong and so it's uh that that's one thing to me that really stuck out when we started or when I started thinking about this, this panel and, and how, how things have changed. Yeah. I 100% advantage, disadvantage and inspiration along with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. you read like the early ideas of how inspiration was going to work, where it's like, it's a reward that GMs hand out, yada, yada, yada. It's not, and then as it's evolved, now it's a thing that players can, in some cases, hand off to other players. And it's a thing where different abilities can give you inspiration. Like, inspiration used to be this thing that was like a rare goose at a lot of tables. And now it's like a thing, like you said, Alan, that's like, if you don't have a way of getting inspiration in the moment, you might be doing it wrong. Um, yeah, which is which is uh, yeah, fascinating. Um Another one that I uh, that came to my mind, um, and and Al, maybe you can, maybe you have some others, but one that came to my mind is just removing the amount of modifiers and little like nubbins, right? Because especially with you think about Pathfinder and Third Edition, that you know was kind of the dominant force leading up to Fifth. A lot of like, it, hang on a minute, if you can give me five minutes, I can find another plus two somewhere, right? Like. Um, that was the norm about like characters were very complex and a, a large part of that complexity was things layering on top of each other and bonuses getting 
very high. And when you saw fifth edition roll in, a lot of it was using the advantage and disadvantage system and things like that to say, we don't want a lot of modifiers. We want very simple modifiers. We don't want you searching your character sheet for how can I get one more bone modify, you know, plus or, oh, I have this negative from over here. We just want as simple as we can get plus the advantage and disadvantage. And that streamlining effect, I think was really the core component of let's not add depth. Let's not add complexity. Let's, let's get a game that we can just pick up and go and your character sheet can remain readable throughout the, throughout your gameplay experience. Al, anything else that you're thinking of? No, you, you, you know my day job, right? I'm not really a wizard. You all know this, right? I, I, my day job is a marketing guy, right? This is what I do, right? And for many years. And and if you want to make a game uh, more approachable, right, you need to make it not too so complex. I mean, Math Finder and Dungeons and Arithmetic was uh, was a little rough on a lot of people right now. Some of us old timers sitting in the room back when the dinosaurs walked, I was right there with you, Alan. It was in the 70s. I had the white box, you know, it was all that madness, right? Um, so, so, you know, this is this change, this fundamental change uh, to this more simplified thing. Obviously, you can see what it did. You can see what it did over the last decade. The 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 addition of literally millions of players. Yeah. And, and it, is, it, it is because of that, right? It is because of the simplification. So now you could role play and you weren't sitting there and you didn't have two hour combats all the time, right? You're fighting five kobolds and it takes an hour, right? That's a little goofy, right? You know what I'm saying? So, so and also for a game master, as one who play, who did play uh, Dungeons and Arithmetic and Mathfinder, right? As one of those guys, um, it was pain in the butt for us game masters. <laughs> it was horrible, right? Because they're coming up with all this crap that they pulled off the internet and all this stuff. And I'm like, where'd that feat come from? I don't even understand this, right? Why do you do 4,323 points of damage in your second level? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, that the simplification was magnificent, right? It was good. The other thing um, uh, tied to simplification is they really abbreviated the release schedule for 5th edition from Wizards of the Coast, right? Like... If you think to especially the third edition days and second edition days, like there's splat books and books released like monthly on the regular basis, just crank, 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 crank. Um, uh, and there's a whole there's a whole discussion about why, but but the reality, right, is that the market got super saturated, super fast, and there were a million options, and we're not even talking about third party options so much as like niche, like tucked into a corner books published by, uh, you know, TSR or Watsi that um, were valid and canonical, but would throw a game master for the loop, right? And so one of the big things that they really only, they really haven't shied away from this too much, though they have increased the release sl schedule slightly, is this much more measured release of, we're going to make it so that as long as you have some sort of a budget, you can probably keep up with all these books. And as a game master, most of these books are going to be adventures and campaigns. So it's you're not learning a whole bunch of new subclasses or mechanics in that space. It's a pretty straightforward approach. Um, and you maybe have to learn a dozen new subclasses every, every year. Yeah, Sean. This may be news to people, but the publishing, the print publishing industry, isn't that great an industry to be in, uh, as you can tell by newspapers, magazines, or what used to be newspapers and magazines. So when when this new sort of very, very slow release schedule came out, uh, it it surprised people who had been through the era where they were getting a new book every month. But it really worked out for Wizards in the long run because it turns out that the fewer splat books you publish the more players handbooks you sell because people go into the store to say i want to play dnd and instead of seeing 27 books on the on the wall they see the one the one that they need and that's why for the first time in gaming history instead of this publishing death spiral where the books sell less and less and less over the years for the first time we saw the players handbook sales continue to rise over the years yeah and that's unfathomable but it worked out perfectly for wizards of the coast in that sense and there's been rumors that they were just going to publish the core books and then basically sell t-shirts and mugs with D, D logos and that would be it but 
the against their even best predictions, it sold and it sold really well. And people came to the game in droves. So they uh, have taken great advantage of that since then. Uh, and I'll I'll let other people add to that. Well, what, so, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yep. So I was just going to go back to the addition of uh, advantage to the game because it, it actually added more to the game via subtraction, right? Like now when you get bonuses in, in 5e compared to uh, other editions of the game, they mean so much more than, you know, than, than, you know, previously because it was just ad nauseum that you just had bonuses to add. And we, everyone's discussed our frustration with, you know, just give me five more minutes because, you know, we can get it. We can pull another plus out of our ass. Yeah. So so let's let's like walk forward then into how the game started to evolve. So there's a couple of things that I think really fast we already we already covered one of them, inspiration, but if evolutions that happened almost immediately. Um, another one was if you go back and you read that initial book and you listen to the designers chat, uh, you know, if you listen to Mike Merles and people chat from those the heyday or the, the beginning days, what they'll communicate is like, oh, magic items are not an assumed uh, thing in the game. All the balance is centered around non-magic items, and and the game does not determine that. Um, there, there's other aspects that way, but obviously, like you know, what they're trying to communicate there. There's other things like in the game master's guide. It talks about this isn't really a grid-based game, and they're trying to steer away from that idea. Some of that took, some of it didn't, right? And some of the language continued. So there's several aspects of, hey, we have this idea about how it should work. Um, that were pretty much universally just said, yeah, we're going to magic items are a real thing in D and D and we're going to move forward. And there's other pieces like that. Rich, you got your hand up. What other things, you know, were, were quick to evolve. I, I was, I was going to jump on that and, and say that the, this is the first version of D and D where the approach was instead of, um, instead of basically looking at characters as far as progression forward, they, put a balance level as to like you know what was what during an adventure what was cool how to describe that and 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 leave that for like you know the characters can be great at every level in every adventure and that's that that sort of heroic narrative is is what was focused on they looked at, at they looked at caps of what worked and worked backwards or at least you know i i spent a lot of time obviously studying the math <laughs> in the game and it's the first time they actually like you know implemented you know a a a i don't know uh, let, me, let me like a you know a ceiling even though it's kind of invisible it's there but it's a ceiling as to like where characters can work and how they progress yeah absolutely like that that i remember playing third edition or you know earlier editions and just like you don't feel heroic at low levels and you don't, there are times when you don't feel heroic at all um, uh, in, a, in a campaign, but um, the, the math curve of 5e is designed very much so that there's always a chance. You always have an opportunity. And in the adventures that they're putting out, um, the, really the design is that you feel like a hero and not that you're playing a dungeon delver survivor, you know, rat catcher, who's scrapping stuff together. No, you're, you're the, you're the epic hero of uh, of an odyssey or a, a or an uh, epic, and um, that's a that's a meaningful change, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, Alan. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Just thinking about that, if you the the tone, I think, has changed um, from well, even you know, back in the early days, it was more of a Tolkien sort of. Uh, thing whereas now it's more narnia and or even uh, even goofier <laughs> in cases where we, i mean you've got there are so many options as far as um uh, playable species and and you know what you can be over what what we started with um even just with 5e starting with i mean there's been so many things out of the tabaxi that um, the just so many uh, of these beast like races and other things like that. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of moved the whole tone of the, 
of the adventures in the game uh, to a more lighter, uh, I want to say, I guess maybe less epic uh, side than than what we what we started with. Well, I see Al there, but uh, just to reinforce your point, think of like Tyranny of Dragons and some and Out of the Abyss. Like these first adventures were more heavy; they're more linear; they're they're dark. Um, and then you finally start to come out of that in the after a handful of adventures. And we really, by and large, see adventures that are much more roleplay heavy and fun and have light moments and there's comedic moments kind of baked in. That's definitely an evolution where that is not the case in a lot of those earlier campaigns. Al, what are you thinking there? Yeah, no, it's breadth of appeal, right? Um, because, you know, obviously you, you don't have to use the you know more uh, animal races if you don't want to or animal peoples if you don't want to you you know so so again it gives it gives more approachability i think that can tend to appeal to a younger audience as well right and so you start thinking about you know our audience is starting to get old you know this all this stuff is going on in their minds as they begin to evaluate you know the evolution of the game and how are they going to appeal to more people because ultimately all they're about is right trying to sell more books right that's ultimately well maybe maybe a few more other things as well right um the, you know this is a company right they they have a profit motive and and all of that kind of stuff um and and so so as you as you evaluate that as you look at it i i actually think it's it's really positive as well because it allows uh, the game to kind of meet people where they are rather than sort of saying this is the only way it's going to be you know I, I my personal you know bias or preference if you will is really not to have a whole lot of uh, hippopotamus people and you know and uh you know platypus people uh, really platypus people just don't make it for me but it's just it's just for me it's not that's not quite i like a more epic game but again the game is for you it's not in my opinion on your game doesn't matter you do what you want to do and make it wonderful and fantastical the way it works for you you know that's what's what that's what i do like about it right absolutely dave you had a note there Sure, uh, but real quick, Alfinis, you got to make an exception for the plasmoid. Uh, the plasmoid. It's a goo person, and it's I uh, people, Dave, I got to just interrupt you for so just one second. I have had that plasmoid pushed into my face so many damn times. <laughs> I only can only imagine. Well, you mentioned the adventures, so I think it's important when talking about the evolution to point out the first few adventures, Sasquatch Studio, uh, Green Ronin. Cobalt Press, they weren't written by Wizards of the Coast. And also, they probably didn't actually have all the information either because it was so early and they're you know, just trying to get it out. For me, like a turning point for um, for the adventures was uh, Curse of Strahd, Ravenloft. I believe it was the first one that they took in-house. Um, I could be wrong. But they did something in that adventure that they hadn't done yet, and I absolutely loved. And that is how they treated monster NPCs or monster or NPC stat blocks. They treated them like monsters. It's the first time the game has not made NPCs just like a player character, and distinguished that they were they were different. Um, and then you fast forward to Dragon Heist, and it feels like they rushed that rushed that adventure because they went back to that, to that old boring ass. We're just going to strip down the character races or character classes and races and species and mold that into an NPC uh, stat block, which is boring as hell. But, you know, in, in Curse of Strahd, they had these NPCs with these cool abilities that the players couldn't emulate or do, and they had flavor and they were thematic. And in my own design work, I've taken that and, like, I will never go back to just trying to make a a player class into an NPC stat block again. It's so lame and boring. And they don't need to do all the things that a player character does. They're there for a couple of scenes. Yeah. Um, uh, you talked um, you talked about adventures and you brought up Cobalt Press and some of these other third-party creators. I think the other thing that we, we, we talked about the limited release schedule. Um, and one of the things that that did along with the OGL, right, is it created, a, it opened a door. And um, that, door turns out was a much bigger door than it was in the third edition days because publishing has changed and to some extent it's it's gotten rougher but on other ends it's a lot easier than it was in 1998 to publish a book um and and to fundraise a book especially um and to put your book on the dm's guild or kickstarter or whatever and because of that 
the door that they opened allowed, you know, Cobalt Press and Ghostfire and MCDM and all these crazy cool companies to step in and fill that gap where four releases a year is not necessarily enough for a lot of the fan base. Well, where, where are you going to turn to? Well, now the only thing you can turn to is third party. Um, and that created an opportunity for third party creators to showcase how they should, how the game, they see the game should evolve. Right. Um, I think there's some really, really smart storytelling ideas. Like you see different types of adventures coming out of the third party place, different ways of structuring an adventure, you know, issuing box text or adding a ton of box text or, you know, uh, bullet points in different areas or all these are, you know, what does a sandbox look like for an adventure? How, what does a campaign setting look like? What should be included in a campaign setting book? Think about that Sword Coast Adventures guide, right? That we got as one of the early releases. There is not a book published like that at all now right that i think that's there definitely it's because third party had a say in what that should feel like um what do you guys think what was the what was the effect of the third party um publishing mindset in the evolution of this of this game well that book was written by a third party i believe that was green ronin that was green ronin green ronin yeah yeah (laughs) the dm's guild was a revelation for so many people before in the olden days, not only couldn't you write, uh, you know, supplements, you couldn't really do much. And then with, with third edition that, you know, you could publish things, but there wasn't a lot of digital publishing back then. Mm -hmm. So you had to have the means to actually print books and get your stuff out there with the DM skill, the digital revolution, the ability to use wizards intellectual property in your own content uh, just caused an explosion. And we started seeing third party folks. We started seeing individuals as opposed to companies being able to put, you have people like MT black who you know wasn't associated with, with any company. He just put his stuff up there and boom, uh, made, made a career for himself on that. Uh, that that revolutionized not just publishing but the way people thought about games and the way people learned they didn't have to just go to wizards to see a format they could see other people changing formats as you've said zach and it was it was just uh it it was a change a sea change if you will yeah (laughs) alphinius there Yes, and, and and really the brilliance of the OGL cannot be understated uh, across this whole thing. The brilliance of rolling it out and 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 letting others use that content, right? And 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 be able to to build upon it. And that also, of course, helps spur this this massive popularity, right? And and that that to me, honestly, you know, and, and Zach, you know, I did some videos on this a long time a while back, you know. That to me was was a, a brilliant stroke just a brilliant stroke by the folks at Wizards when they said, you know what, we're going to open source. It was unbelievable. And that that combined with the with the with this marvelous 5e system that made it so much more approachable. I think if you put those two things together, that is the, the two cornerstones of this entire explosion uh, is, is those two things. Very poignant, uh, Sean. Really good comment. Uh, Rich? Um, yeah, I, defi- I, I actually started with my, my first few things on the DMs Guild and, uh, you know, were, were it, were it not for the existence of that, uh, I wouldn't be doing any of this at all. Uh, so I, I was, and, and it combined with the, I, I guess the simplicity of, of how 5e works, if you strip out, you know, all of the all of the lore and all of the you know and everything that 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 you know basically has been pushed in from the history of D&D the game itself is so malleable a lot of people would disagree with me but oh, it it's is. so malleable that you can create whatever you want out of it and i you know that's that was my that was my first, once i realized that i was like oh all right, I'll just make whatever I want. It doesn't need to be D&D at all, right? Space and lizards. There's going to be space lizards. All it's going to be space, it's going to be space lizards, yes. It's going to be space lizards and, and ships and all that stuff. And, and you know, and the, system, and the system is, is fun and simple enough to where as long as you keep 
you know, as, as, as long as you stay devoted to that concept, anything's possible. Yes. We, uh, we see, I think I remember looking at some of the Cobalt Press's books, like thinking about like Southlands and some of those, like that, those are several years old now. Um, I don't know exactly how old all of those are, but I remember flipping through some of those and looking at like player options and subclasses being like, whoa, there's some really wild things going on here. Like, you know, and Cobalt Press is really good, I think, about doing stuff that's balanced, um, while at the same time pushing the envelope about what can a what can a ranger subclass feel like, you know. Um, and I think that that was a big shift. Like, you know, when you have you know third party publishers putting out you know massive hardcover books that people are putting on their shelves right next to Watsy hardcovers and they're using those player classes and those those player options. It's it's inarguable that also that influenced Watsy to move forward. We see, I mean, Tasha's was kind of like a revelation for fifth edition, right? Where we see a lot more like a lot of these subclasses and classes used to be a very linear approach, right? Like you walk down this path and it's great. You have a lot of subclasses to choose from, but once you pick a subclass, you're kind of walking down that subclass path. And then with Tasha's, I think what we see is uh, a recognition that the third party group had already kind of experimented a lot with like how, what can, what can a player, what, what do players want? And as the, as the player base gets more experience, what can they handle? And then Tasha says they can handle a lot. Here's a lot of different options. Here's a lot of different choices. Let's give the play. Let's open the floodgates of what player choice can feel like um, and build, letting them build and modify exactly what they want. And I think that really, maybe it was going to come anyways, but I think it, it definitely also came from the third party field, really giving that depth. Alan, what are you thinking here? Well, you're right. And there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of bleed um, in in the classes. Like we, you, know, you have a you have a sorcerer now that can heal. You have um, you have a monk that can heal. You have a, a cleric that can be arcane, and all of these things. And they um, that's that's really been a um, a big change to me is is in that uh, the you know those subclasses bleeding uh, bleeding into other areas. Yeah, adding depth, one hundred percent. Al, Al, what do you think in there? Alan, I, I got to tell you, yeah, that's a, it's a very good comment, and it's a very thoughtful comment because also, I think that that they did research. Uh, they, I know they did research, right? And 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 they they found out that nobody wants to play a cleric, right? That was the whole thing. Nobody wants to be the damn healer. Now that's that's a blanket statement. I have some dear friends who love playing clerics. So all you. All you haters out there, I'm not capping on clerics, okay? Listen, in our games, we have a saying, when there's, when the party wants healing, not that kind of cleric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was part of it, right? Part of the problem was, again, is they're, is they're fig- trying to figure out how to make the game more appealing. They're trying to figure out how to get, make the game more fun. They say, well, well clerics kind of suck, right? And so then they started figuring out other ways to, to make clerics to make clerics uh, better for people and then give healing powers to other classes so that you didn't have to play a cleric if you didn't want to, right? And um, we did a different thing because I actually like, I love clerics. So we did a little different thing with Gooey Cube that I think actually did, I think does make clerics much more interesting to play. Um, and and we've gotten a lot of good feedback about that. And I, 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 as an old school dinosaur guy, right with you, Alan, right, right, <laughs> old school dinosaur guy, uh, clerics have a special place in my heart. My first character ever was a cleric, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm I'm a cleric diehard as well. So you're you're in good company, Dave. <laughs> All right, so I guess you know uh, what do we got? We're closing in on like uh, 17 minutes. I feel like there's a lot of evolution things we haven't even touched on how the game's changed. Yeah. One, like you can't you can't find a class that doesn't have magic anymore. Right, like you, you say, you can run, you can do anything with five E. Low fantasy, I challenge you. <laughs> um, it can be done with a lot of retooling and making a new game, um, but it can be done, I'm sure. Uh, but also, we've seen like a lot of optional rules that were introduced in the beginning of five E. They're not optional anymore. With the release of Strixhaven and beyond, I think it was Strixhaven was the first one, um, where it's like, oh, here's these features, here's these uh, backgrounds you get would have feats in them now. So, like, at first when I looked at that, I was like, well, in, in the playtest stuff, I was like, well, 
this isn't going to work unless you do something for everybody else. This is, you know, this isn't even power creep. This is like a power leap, right? Uh, which is cool. I got fine with it. And then also, like, a lot of the games at it, um, there are a lot of the adventures, like Mythic, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Theros at it, Mythic, uh, mm -hmm. it's escaping right now, but. Uh, Mythic Odyssey of Theros. Yes. That's it. Thank you. Uh, you know, added, you know, a whole other system to it. A couple of the other books did that as well. And that's what I feel like they always originally planned to do and just never did. Like, that was like the beauty of 5e to me was like, oh, like everything was very blocky and modular. You had backgrounds, you had race, you had class, and you could like move those around. You could remove them, you could add new ones, and but they just never did. And it seems like later on they started doing that. So like with Strixhaven and, and those other books, things really started evolving and changing and adding more options for players. Uh, and I'll add to that. Think about how monsters have changed since in the last decade, right? Like CR balance is complete. I think it arguably completely different now. Um, I, and, What's and so, balance? Yeah, exactly. Still not quite there, but um, but they're 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 figuring it out more. Uh, the other thing that that is true with monsters is back then. I remember. I think again, it was Mike talking. Mike Merles used to do these like fun live streams. I think it's called Mike Merles Happy Fun Hour or something like that. And mm -hmm. um, he'd talk about design. And one of the things they talked about was avoiding both in players, characters, and in monsters, um, interrupters. So the idea being like, you need to take your turn on your turn. You need to have a standard action and a move action, and that needs to be the normal. And the idea of bonus actions and reactions um, were something like, you know, epic monsters had legendary action, and that's great. But like the the standard monster that you would face wouldn't have any reaction, wouldn't have any bonus action, would just do their things. Um, player characters, a lot of, like, the rogue got things that they could do with bonus actions on their turn, but most of the other classes did not have a, a, a consistent option for bonus actions, and unless you were taking attacks of opportunity, reactions. That is completely different now, where every class has something baked into it to where you can do three, four things on your turn, plus you have reactions to go on. Every monster now has, like, lots of monsters have reactions, or they have things that interrupters in other ways. They have bonus actions. More creatures have leg legendary actions. There's different scales of legendary actions. Just, like, crazy amounts of interrupters now, which I think really changes the flow of, you know, initiative in the game. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because now fight five kobolds it takes two hours, right? That was, that was, that was we were trying to get away from that ten years ago. You know, this was the. But the fact of the matter is, again, the game you don't have to bring those to the table, right? If you know, and I think that Rich, I saw you putting that finger up because I I agree with you. I think that there 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 is a lot of. Uh, a creep, uh, and, and not to take away from you at all, Dave, because I agree with you. It's pretty. It's it, you gotta you gotta mess around with it a little bit to make it low fantasy. But there has been a lot of creep, right, to the more mathy stuff because, frankly, a lot of us core gamers we like it. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, we like having our own character be our own character. We like being able to have these cool things that we can do, right? That's the hero that you were talking about earlier, and so. So the nice thing about what I see, at least right now, where it is right now, is that really you can play a simple game and have it mostly focused on role play and not have two hour combats and, and really be more that game. Or if you really want to have these these epic combats all the time and people want to roll dice, and they want to have all these things going on, they could do that, too. And that's that is another really good thing about the game. Yeah, Sean. Yeah. And and this this isn't. Uh... This isn't this power creep isn't just in 5e. We see this in every edition of DD and every game that's been around for a while. And what happens is, yes, many gamers love that complexity. They love the things added to it. But as the complexity goes up, bringing in new players becomes harder and harder. Uh, uh, Wizards asked me to write a, an adventure for kids, not just kids that as players, but brand new kids as dungeon masters and how do you do that what you do is you take out rules you take out all the rules that you can because this game is a game but it's also a storytelling vehicle and it's also a an outlet for creativity and the more technical the more tactical you get the longer the time is between storytelling 
And you always have to keep that in mind as you design a game or as you evolve a game. Because people that want to tell what their character does, if they have to wait 45 minutes before they get a chance to say what their character does in combat, that's one thing. If they have to wait an hour and a half before they can say how their character's feeling about something, that makes it even more detrimental to that portion of your player base. Ah, hmm. uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, we're in a weird juxtaposition of starting with the bones of a war game and trying to build a, mm-hmm. the flesh of a, of a, of a truer role play experience on top of it. Rich, what are you thinking here? Uh, I was, uh, I was going to comment that, it, you know, looking at the game that, that, that Sean created, which was wonderful, by the way, uh, What's the name of that game, by the way, Sean? Uh, It's called Peril in Pinebrook, and you can download it for free from... uh, Go to D&D Beyond, and and, uh, there's a link there to it. Perfect. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, But I I can say that as the game evolves, and as they present all of these different options and all of these different things that you can do, it starts presenting you with with all of the same methods to be able to strip them out. You know, it, it, the, the more options, the more things you make optional, you can take them out as part of a base. Like, you know, as, as the, like, as somebody that, that, you know, somebody created a, a, a sci-fi version of the game, the, when you look at the concept of like every character has magic, sure, that's an option. That is true. But the magic is really just math. And, and, and when, you know, when they, when you present that as, as character options and you strip that down, you can apply that in different methods to your game to where there really isn't any, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's what I like about it. Let's talk about, um, uh, which I agree with, like, like the underlying math is really clean in 5e, like 100%. The here, here's a thing where I think that the complex, why some of the complexity is getting added back in. Cause I think that's definitely where we're at. And I'm curious to see, like, is that complexity carried forward with, with, with what wizards comes out with in 2024. But one of the reasons that they get, that they can get away with more complexity, I truly believe is because of the, the prominence of the VTT at this moment. Um, when you can build your character in D&D Beyond or Roll20 or wherever, and you can get all of the math kind of baked in underneath the scenes, and then all you have to do is click the attack button, and ta-da, it, you know you know if you hit or not and how much damage, that short tracks the need to streamline because, oh, well, people, you don't want to wait 45 minutes between each turn. All the math's resolved. All the complexity is behind the scenes. You can just click a button and it goes. That's super handy, and it encourages more complexity because it doesn't take more time. However, what it does on the back end is it means when you sit actually sit down at a table, all that complexity now comes spilling out um, in, in, and does can at least slow down the game. I think that's going to be the hard thing for us all to navigate moving forward is like how do we add the complexity that, that we can that's simple for virtual games without leaving behind the pen and paper and the new player who's been invited to their to the basement for the first time right how do we not leave those people in 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 the dark al yeah listen now we're not in the basements anymore and we aren't hiding from all of our friends we weren't worried we, you aren't worried about getting beat up by your by all the guys at school right zach okay so let's I'll just speak for yourself in the old days <laughs> i am quite literally in a basement right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but no seriously you know honestly for me you know and, and this might just be my old man talking right i love the table man I, I just I love getting together with my friends and we we eat we break bread and we drink we drink beer and scotch and we laugh and we frigging roll dice and 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 I do not want to take away from the virtual experience. I the virtual experience is a good thing and it helps the game, right? And it helps friends who are far apart to be able to be together. And I love all of that stuff about it. But dang, I just like playing at the table and and pushing a button and 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 not really rolling dice. It's just not appealing to this old fart. <laughs> I mean, I still show up to the table with my character on my phone. So yeah. I, may, I may push the button or I may roll dice. You know, it depends on the mood. <laughs> you got the option, right? <laughs> well, I still remember when I started a new job back in, in uh, early 2000, 
people they said that yeah you played like dungeons and dragons right and i'm like yeah and everyone sort of shied away from me <laughs> and you know 20 years later yeah. those same people that were shying away from me now have kids who are te- you know te- tweens or teenagers and they're like hey how can i get my kids into dnd right that's how life has changed because now everyone's on tech all the time and we're looking for ways to connect. So it's we're moving in two directions. We're moving more towards the digital D&D where people are looking for socialization and need socialization. So let's get them back to the table. And, and that will be a huge uh, topic of the new edition going forward. Mm-hmm. Family too, by the way, family too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dave, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll pull you up here. I know you got your hand up, but also uh, as we're kind of closing out here, you had a list and I'm curious to know, have we, what other things are on that pieces of evolution that, 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 that we haven't chatted about yet? So actually we haven't even talked about the culture aspect of what's going on with the game with mm-hmm. critical role, stranger things, Rick and Morty, like some of these things have actually just been pulled right into the game now. You, you know, like you can get, you know, I think one of the best uh, starter sets that was had been put out was the Stranger Things one. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was stripped down. It was clean. It was if I'd never seen this game before, you could look at it and you could run that game fairly easy uh, compared to like Minds of Foundover, which was a great adventure. But God forbid you've never played the game before. And that's your first the first thing you run is that like that's a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the culture, the culture, crazy shift. And, and I'll go back to, I think that the, the the culture of streamed games and of games being, you know, introduced in Stranger Things and whatnot, but especially the stream games and Critical Role and all that definitely had its hand in it. Because we would, again, hear design, the lead designers talking about how do we make our game more appealing to streamers or easier to stream, right? Um, and I don't know that they fully... I think that they kind of have what they had at that point, right? Like you, you could only deconstruct 5e so far for streaming. Um, but 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 even so, like 100%, like if it didn't if it didn't help necessarily evolve the core books, it definitely helped evolve the community and how the game was played. When you're when you're watching a stream where they don't roll dice at all for four hours, Maybe you can't get all the way there with your home table, but you could get, you know, get to the, where you're only rolling dice for 30 minutes of a four hour session. And that's a huge shift. That's a huge shift that definitely streaming had its hand in guiding um, 100%. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. We, we, we're kind of running out of time. And I know I, I, I personally got us started a little late, but um, I'm going to. We, I think that what part of this is is we'll have to do a maybe maybe later in the year we'll have to do a round two, um, but I think that we've covered at least some ideas. I want to close out with again why are we talking about this, and then give you guys some opportunity to point people in directions to some of the cool stuff that you've helped evolve the game with. Um, but why are we doing this? We're doing this because, um, at least in part, it's interesting, but also in part because um, there is a lot of news and 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 writing and posts online right now there's a lot of consternation about what's going to change with 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 the core books in the coming year and some of that is deserved probably and some but some of it isn't and some of it is some of it is just being apprehensive about change and the goal hopefully you see through some of the discussion we've had here that like you no game no game is stagnant if it's stagnant it's dying um and this game has been moving forward and changing dramatically over the last decade. And I think what you're about to see, what we're about to see is arguably just the culmination of those changes um, and, and a stamp on that and a, and a, and a piece moving forward. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you fellas next for closing remarks. And also I'd love it if you would point people uh, towards something that you think uh, of yours that that people might find interesting. I'm going to work backwards this time. So, Sean, um, any any closing thoughts, and also where should people go to check out your stuff? Yeah the 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 switch from the 2014 to 2024 uh, version of D and D is going to be probably the least change we've ever seen. From second to third was a huge change. Third to fourth, an incredible change. Fourth to fifth. A huge change as well. This is going to be pretty much, you won't need to learn a new game. 
and you still have all your own books. You can run a game. You can play a game any way you want. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at Sean Merwin. Uh, you can check out Mastering Dungeons, or you can check out Ghostfire Gaming to see what I'm working on. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll highly recommend Mastering Dungeons and Ghostfire Gaming. Their Grim Hollow series and other series are fantastic 5e additions to your shelf. If you like dark fantasy, all right, I'm going to... I'm sorry, I shouldn't say, I, we don't have time, but but there are some really cool things that Grim Hollow does um, at Ghostfire for like expanding the rules for transformative things like werewolves and things of that nature, right? Like if that's the sort of game that you like and you feel like, again, the rules of the player's handbook aren't complex enough for you, or there's there's not enough beat on those bones, Grim Hollow has some really cool stuff and Ghostfire stuff in general is top notch. So uh, yeah, and Sean has a heavy hand in, in, in a chunk of those books. Cool. Uh, Alphineas, what do you got? Well, first of all, Zach, thank you. And all of you awesome dudes, uh, thank you for hanging out because it was really wonderful to be with you. And Dave, I would love to, to chat with all five of you and you, Zacharias, right? So all six of us, if you want to call it that way, yes, about this cultural thing, because it really is amazing. I mean, it is it is so hip to be geek right now. It is just unbelievable, you know, and, and, and like I said, you used to get beat up for this. Anyway, I'm Alphineas Goo. Yes, I uh, I uh, run a little company called Gooey Q. We make immersive experience adventures in an amazing world for the fifth edition. And uh, we're doing a lot of cool stuff. And I think in, in some ways, breakthrough stuff. Uh, and you can check us out at gooeycube.com or uh, or uh, check us out on YouTube at uh, uh, Gooey Cubes or youtube.com slash Gooey Cube. I don't know. We're all over the place. Just search Gooey Cube. You'll find us. <laughs> Perfect. I'll say, Al, um, uh, uh... Gooey Cube has extended its tendrils a lot of places. I was talking to somebody at a local con here in Kansas City just a few weeks ago, and um, I saw, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember which one, but one of the Gooey Cube box sets at their table. And I came over, talked to him, and they're like, this is the only 5e stuff I run anymore. It's my favorite stuff. He talked to me about backing all of your Kickstarters and going all in, and I'm like, he's like, it's just such a great approach to the system. The campaigns are well thought. Yeah. Your your stuff is permeating the the five E space in the in the country, and I'm excited for that because I think you you put out fantastically unique and uh, intriguing adventures, and and I appreciate you coming on the panel and talking about it. It's great to be here, sir. Thank you. All right, Rich, what you got for us here? Uh, I can be found uh, on the socials at Skydon or Skydon with number one after it. That's like you know. And I'm on all the all the bits, blue sky and threads and all that stuff. I am very excited to see what moves forward with uh, with five E. You know, well, I guess we're not really going to call it five E anymore, but uh, you know, we'll just we'll just go with we'll just go with D and D as it is. You know, they they've decided to not make you know such drastic changes. Uh, you can find my stuff. Uh, I'm with Alligator Alley Entertainment. Uh, we do make, um, you know, 5e products and uh, also, you know, op alternate rules like a, like a Witch Hunt of the Invisible World, which has actually been out even longer. Um, my primary game is Esper Genesis. If you want to make any sort of heroic sci-fi, uh, you know, uh, scenarios with, with starships and guns and lasers and all that stuff, then, you know, look up espergenesis.com and... Uh, that is, that's all I got. Perfect, perfect. Gorgeous, gorgeous sci-fi fantasy books. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, they're they're prominent um, in my line of 5e material. Dave, what do you got here? Well, first of all, the Aspergenesis are amazing. I think I have a book over to my left someplace. Um, but uh, yeah, you know what? If things are changing. They might be a little scary. You don't have to be that afraid. Just find yourself a Gen X friend. They've seen a lot of shit, and they can get you through this. Uh, we are Nerdarchy everywhere as YouTube, the website, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And we currently have our Zoo Mafia RPG Kickstarter going on. We'd love it if you checked it out. You can get the uh, free quick start rules over there. Uh, do crime. Go wild, but don't let the humans catch you. I love it. And I'll, I'll note for people, because I've had a few people ask, Zoo Mafia is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which is uh, an awesome system in its own right. And we should, we should have you on and we should talk about Powered by the Apocalypse, because that's a cool system to chat for a whole hour about in and of itself. But yeah, Zoo Mafia, thanks for hanging out, Dave. 
Alan, last but not least, what you got? Uh, you can find me at Tucker Author on most of the socials and uh, find my stuff on DMs Girl, Drive Through, Pathfinder Infinite now. Um, two of the bigger books were Incredible Creatures and Incredible Items um, that we did, the Monster Book and Magic Item Book, and just got done uh, funding a Kickstarter called I Have Everywhere and uh, working on that now, which is going to be available for both 5e and Pathfinder. And we have a couple of exciting new classes and a bunch of other stuff in there. Got a constitution-based caster and a scion, which has been a lot of fun. We're play, getting done playtesting now and, and uh, just having a great time with that. So, yeah, let's play the games. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks a lot, chat, for hanging out. <laughs>